Well, good morning, JICF. As I get my mask off here, following good protocol, good morning to those of you who are with us physically this morning. It's so wonderful for me to be able to worship in the presence of other believers. Amen? It's just, it's been so long. It's been over 15 months for, for me, myself, and so this is, is such a pleasure. And, um, and for those of you who are watching online, welcome. We're so glad that you're joining us today. And for some of us who are dads and who are from uh, the United States or from Canada or from the UK, from India, from Ireland, from Singapore, from Qatar, and there's a few other countries, I didn't memorize them all, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. It is such a joy, I know for myself, to be able to parent uh, uh, our two children and um, I'm sure you feel the same way as well, those of you who are dads and, and celebrating Father's Day today. Last week, uh, John Freiberg preached from Matthew 17, verses 1 through 13, about um, the transfiguration of our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was talking about how we are to listen to Jesus. We are to listen to Jesus. Um, just to review a bit, Jesus invited Peter, James, and John to go up uh, on the mount, which we believe is Mount Tabor, and had the chance to visit Mount Tabor uh, a little over a year ago before the pandemic started. And um, it was on there that Jesus uh, shined in all of his glory, uh, in his glorified state, and, and the, a message was given from the Father to Peter, James, and John when he told them, Behold, this is my beloved Son, with whom I well please. Listen to him. And John so eloquently explained, and with power and grace, how we are to hear and listen to Jesus. But listening to Jesus also means to obey Jesus, obey his commands. So last week we were talking about listening to Jesus from Matthew 17, verses 1 through 13. Today we're going to be talking about looking to Jesus from Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 21, as we continue our journey through the gospel of Matthew here at JICF. Again, our text for today, Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 21, and the title of the sermon today is Look to Jesus. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Version of God's Word, the 1995 version. I'll begin. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 14, the Bible says, when they, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And in verse 16, I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. All right, let me stop right there and explain what's going on, brothers and sisters. So again, Jesus, along with Peter, James, and John, had been on top of Mount Tabor, where Jesus was transfigured into his glorified state. While they were on the mountain, the other nine disciples were below. They were down below. But ministry, of course, was still going on because as we learn um, in verse 16, there was a man and, and he was very distraught because his son, as it says here in verse 15, 
was a lunatic and was very ill. That word lunatic in the original language means the son was stricken with epilepsy. He often convulsed and had seizures. And when he was convulsing or having these seizures, the son, out of control, would throw himself into the water that they would use, obviously, uh, in the village for, for drinking, for bathing, or even into the fire that would have been in the homes used for heating and cooking. And so this father, being a good father, he comes to the nine disciples, the ones that weren't invited up on the mountain by Jesus, and he says, can you heal my son? But as we see in verse 16, he relays to Jesus, once Jesus and Peter and James and John have come down from the mountain, he relays to Jesus, you know, I brought him to, to your guys, to your disciples, but they could not cure him. They could not cure him. Now, this is puzzling, isn't it? Because if we go back in, in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 through 8, Jesus had already given authority to the 12 disciples to do what? Matthew 10, verses 7 through 8. Let me read it for us. Jesus had already said to them, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, Cast out demons, freely received, freely give. You see, the disciples had already been given the authority by the Lord Jesus Christ himself to be able to cure this stricken boy. Why couldn't they do it? They'd done it in the past when Jesus had commissioned them out back in Matthew chapter 10. But they couldn't do it now. We'll answer that question in just a moment. Let's carry on and continue on in our text for today in Matthew 17, 17. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. So can you feel Jesus' disappointment in the nine? I have already spoken over you. I have spoken my authoritative word. Jesus is the living word. Amen? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, John 1.1. 1, 1. He had spoken his authoritative word over these disciples, but yet they could not cure the boy. And Jesus, in his disappointment, in his disgust, he, answer, he, he, he says, bring him here to me. And in verse 18 of our text, the Bible says, And Jesus rebuked him, that's the demon, inside the boy, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. You see, friends, the reason this poor boy was having the convulsions and seizures and struggling and suffering from epilepsy was because he was demon-possessed. And when Jesus rebuke the demon and cast the demon out of him that his disciples should have been able to do the epilepsy went away the epilepsy went away and he was cured at once he was cured wholly and completely by the lord jesus christ friends i just want to say 
if we are cured wholly and completely, oh yes, don't get me wrong, God uses doctors and medicine. We all know that and we are thankful for modern medicine. Amen? But the one who heals, the one who gets the praise from that is King Jesus. Amen? He's our healer. He's our healer. And so in verse 19, as we continue to travel through this text, it says, the Bible, then, uh, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, I'm sure they were ashamed and embarrassed. Why could we not drive it out? Jesus, why couldn't we drive it out? Why did we fail this time? I'm sure they'd already been doing these things, right? Because Jesus had already given them authority to do it. He had cast them out. Uh, he had commissioned them out to go and... and uh, cast out demons, to heal the sick, to preach the gospel of the kingdom, to even raise the dead. But Jesus, why can't we do it now? Jesus answers them in verse 20. We're going to camp out here for most of our time. In verse 20 of our text, Jesus said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Now, what we need to pay attention here in verse 20 first is, what does Jesus mean here because of, he answers them. The answer is, you couldn't cast out the demon this time because of the littleness of your faith. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean the amount of their faith was not enough? I don't know, maybe just maybe this has happened to you sometime in the past. Another good-meaning brother or sister in Christ has come up to you, and they know you've got a problem going on in your life right now, and maybe it seems like a mountain, and they come up to you, and they say, you just need a bigger faith. Has that ever happened to you? You don't have to raise your hand. You need a bigger faith. Your quantity of faith needs to increase. I'm sure that's happened to some of you, because some of you are kind of giggling back in the back there. And I take that, so yes, that's happened. Is Jesus talking about the quantity of our faith here in, the, in this text in verse 20? No, he's not. Because why? He uses the analogy of a mustard seed. Do you know how small a mustard seed is? It's very, very small. And during this time in the context when Jesus is teaching right here, it was probably the smallest seed there was. So he's not talking about how big your faith is quantity, but he's talking about the quality, brothers and sisters. He's talking about the adequacy of your faith, the wholeness, the completeness of your faith. Not about how big it is, but is your faith holy and completely in him? And Jesus goes on to say, if it is, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. When we exercise adequate, whole, complete faith in Jesus Christ and what he said in his word, the power of God is unleashed, brothers and sisters, and the seemingly impossible in your life become possible. Amen? But does that mean every time... You and I have a mountain, quote-unquote, standing in our way. Every time 
when we truly look to Jesus and, and trust Him, at the moment we pray in His name, we or the person we're praying for is going to be healed? The problem's just going to go away? No, doesn't. You see, we need to understand, yes, we serve a God who can do the impossible. But we also need to understand that God can do the impossible as we are under His authority and under His will for our individual lives. Let me say that again. God indeed is a God who can take the impossible and make it possible when the faith Jesus is talking about is properly appropriated in Him. At the same time, we are under His authority and under His will for our lives. Let me give you some examples to help us make that more concrete and understandable. My mentor back in the United States, his name is Chuck and he's a pastor. He's my pastor back in the States. We were talking about six months ago and he shared a story we were talking about. Uh, we were talking about healings, okay? And he was sharing a story about um, there was a former uh, church member of, of his at the church where he pastors, and she and her husband had moved uh, about an hour, hour and a half away from, from the city where um, my mentor Chuck pastors. So they weren't attending anymore, okay? But Chuck gets a call from her, a former church member of, of his, and says, you know, my husband, she was telling him her husband has cancer and it's really bad. And so Chuck made quick plans to go where they were living at the time and visit them in the hospital. And he did that quickly, like maybe the next day. So he drives there and he goes to the hospital where the, the, the husband is, is very sick with cancer. And Chuck is in the hospital room and he's, he's visiting with them, he's talking with them. And, you know, of course he's going to pray uh, for her and her husband. But he told me, he said, you know, Jonathan, when I was visiting and about to pray, the Holy Spirit so impressed upon me to pray boldly over this man that Jesus would heal him of the cancer. And he said, I obeyed. And he said, I prayed boldly over this man in the name of Jesus. In obedience. Amen. Says his goodbyes, goes back home. Not too much time passes by. The lady calls Chuck and says, I've got wonderful news. My husband is cancer-free. He's absolutely been cleared of cancer. Chuck says, Jonathan, all glory to Jesus. But I believe when I obeyed and I prayed over him in boldness, that that cancer would be gone. The power of God was unleashed on that man, and he was healed. He said, that hasn't happened to me a lot in his 40, almost 40-something years of ministry, pastoring. It's not like it's an everyday occurrence, but at that time, God had given him authority in that hospital room. You pray in my son's name, and you're going to see the impossible become possible. But you see, he's, it was, he clearly got a word from the Holy Spirit, 
as he himself, and I know my mentor, is abiding in Christ. John 15, 4 and 5. The impossible can become possible under God's authority. The possible can become possible as God wills it for us or not. Let me give you another example. I'll use Yellen, my wife, for this one. So when she gave birth to our first child, Brennan, okay, back in 2007, I mean, the day she gave birth, like back in the recovery room, her skin started to itch. And it never stopped for 11 years after that. She had hives, 11 years. She had to take Zyrtec, an antihistamine, for 11 years. It was really a quote-unquote thorn in the flesh for her. Did, did Yellen, did we believe that Jesus could heal her and take it away? Absolutely. But he didn't for 11 years. And oh, the lessons she learned during those 11 years to trust him, the joy of the Lord be her strength when she was suffering, when she would take, an, you know what an antihistamine does, right? It makes you drowsy. It doesn't make you in a good mood. Couldn't fight that. Trusting the Lord to give her joy. But around Easter 2018, the Lord healed her. Just healed her. We didn't go to another doctor. It wasn't a change of medicine. He just healed her, took it away. The Zyrtec she had left in the house, she threw it away. Praise be to Jesus. This past February, she started developing a ringing in her ears. Tinnitus, or tinnitus, Mike. We talked about this before. I'm going to go with tinnitus. Tinnitus is like a ringing in your ear. Started in February of, uh, for yelling just this year. We've been to several ENTs, treatment. It's getting worse. Ringing's louder. Is Jesus, I mean, is yelling, holy, looking to Jesus to help her endure this struggle? Does she believe that he can heal her? Absolutely. So we need to be careful. If, if, if I was to go up to yell and say, you just need a bigger faith, it could be very offensive. And then what, what, what that can do, and we may, we may mean well as a brother and sister who says that to another brother and sister, but what that can do is then they start looking at themselves and saying, I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. What am I doing wrong? Have you ever felt that way before? Oh, friends, be encouraged. If we're walking with, if our faith is in Christ, we're walking with Him by His grace. He's holding us. We're holding on to Him. We're abiding in Him. If someone well-meaning comes up to you and says, well, you've still got this problem because your faith's not big enough. Oh, be encouraged. It's not the, how big our faith is, but it, is it in Christ alone? And maybe, just maybe, it's not going away right now because it's not his will to take it away right now. Because guess what? He's processing you. He's processing me to do what? To be more conformed into the image of God's Son. Amen? God works together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. So what? Verse 29 of Romans 8. So we come, become more conformed into the image of Jesus. I don't know about you and me, but what I want more than anything in my life is not to be healed. It's not for my problem to go away. 
but I want to be at my spiritual best when Jesus comes back or when he takes me home and I'm before him as I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. How about you? And oftentimes in my 20 years walking with Jesus, when he's shaping me, when he's processing me, when he's conforming me, it's not when I'm on the mountaintop. It's when I'm in the valley. It's when I'm going through the trial. It's when I'm going through the calamity that he's processing me. He's molding me. He, all I got is Jesus. I don't have anything else. Can I get an amen? And the impossible, it, the problem may never go away. The mountain may never go away. Jesus is using that analogy, using an object lesson, I believe, probably looking back at Mount Tabor because he'd just come down from it, and he uses that object lesson, that mountain, to say, and he points back at Mount Tabor. You can say to this mountain, it will move from here to there. Well, the moving from here to there, it may not go away. It may. But guess what? In the midst of your trial, in the midst of your problem, in the midst of your sickness that you never get healing from, God can do the impossible in your life. What's the impossible? He can give you peace. Amen? He can give you joy. My dad was not a cancer survivor. But the five hours before God took him home and we had a video call together, he was at absolute peace. He was talking about his funeral. He was asking me to speak at his funeral. And there was joy and there was peace there. And he said, but he said to me, Jonathan, I'm really sick. And he had never told any of the family that. He only told me that five hours before the Lord called him home. I'm really sick, but he didn't complain. There was peace, there was joy, and we had probably the most meaningful conversation we've had in my 40-something years with him. Five hours before God took him home. He was in the States, I was in Indonesia. There was no sense of fear. So see, God did the impossible in my dad five hours before he took him home to heaven. He took his fear away. Why? Because my dad was looking to Jesus. He's looking to Jesus. He's waiting to meet Jesus. Not about how big his faith was, but it's about are we looking to Jesus? I want to help us understand about this, this properly appropriated faith that Jesus is talking about in verse 20. I want us to understand here, what does that mean? What does this whole, complete, adequate faith mean? I think we can help understand it when we look at what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. If you would look there with me, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, the writer of Hebrews says this, talking to the church. Two believers. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race. The race of what? The race of faith that is set before us. Doing what? Look at verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, some translations say finisher of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we be, get grace, be given this whole complete faith that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 17, 20, dear friends? I believe, and then how do we appropriate it properly, how do we put it into practice? It's when we do what Hebrews 12.2 says. When we fix our eyes on who? 
on Jesus. And who is Jesus? The author. He's the starter of our faith. Who gives us faith? God does. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. Amen? Is faith something good? Absolutely. Who gives it to us? The author of our faith. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He starts our faith. He sees us through in this life of faith. And He finishes our faith. Amen? So to live the life of faith, what do we need to do? Look to Jesus. Don't look at what the world says. Don't read the news too much right now. I'm telling you, you read the news too much, you'll get discouraged, you'll panic, you'll try to do this and that. I'm telling you, you need to read this a lot more than you read the news. Amen? You need to read this Bible. You look at the news. The news is negative. How much percent of news is positive? About 5%. Mike and I were talking before service. Man, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We're to be wise. We're to live responsibly, but not in fear. You might be going through something right now. You may be without a job. Your business may not be doing well. You know someone who's sick. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Now, I want to break that down even more. What does that mean? I want to make this as concrete as possible. Not abstract. What does it mean to look to Jesus? I've been meditating on this text on Matthew 17, 14 through 21 since it was assigned to me about a month and a half, two months ago in our preaching meeting. I've been meditating on this text. I've been reading it. I've been praying through it. I've been thinking about it. What is it saying here? And I believe Looking to Jesus, number one, means we need to daily, as His disciples, reflect on His character. Amen? To fix our eyes on Jesus, to look to Jesus, means daily. When we're going throughout our daily activities, we need to be reflecting on Christ's character. What do we know? Just some things we know about His character. John chapter 1, verse 14. What do we know about Jesus' character? It says there in the Bible, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. What do we first learn about Jesus' character? He is the all-ever-enduring Word. Amen? He is God. As I quoted earlier, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the living Word. He's the eternal Word. When John, I believe John, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned John 1.1, he's thinking back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was who? God. Who was with God? Jesus. Jesus is God. We can trust Him. And I believe John, when he says here in John 1, 14, and we saw his glory, I believe he was reflecting upon the Mount of Transfiguration event when he and Peter and James saw the glory of the transfigured Son of God. Not only is Jesus eternal God, Jesus is glorious. Light was not shining upon him, as John Freiberg said on top of that mountain. It was coming out of him. It was radiating out of Jesus because Jesus is God and he is glorious. And he's full of grace and truth. He is full of grace. 
You think about right now. Just ponder for a minute. Maybe shut your eyes and you think for a minute. The grace that Jesus has poured out on your life from when he saved you until right now. What is grace? It's God giving us what we don't deserve. How much has God given you and me that we do not deserve? We have transgressed him with our sin. And we are guilty. We are guilty. We deserve nothing good. There's none righteous, no, not one. Nothing good in Jonathan Mace. Nothing. Big null, big zero. If I have anything, if I can do anything to bring God glory, it's because of His grace unto me. It is His grace unto you. It is His grace that is seeing you through the quote-unquote mountain in your life right now. And He is truth. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is true. We can trust him. That means he is just. Amen? He is just. We can trust him. He is true, and he is also holy. Revelation 3, 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, he who is holy. This is Jesus talking about himself in the third person. Jesus is holy because he's God. He's sinless Jesus. Amen? He's perfect. Morally perfect, ethically, ethically perfect, never makes a mistake, was tempted in every way that we were, the writer of Hebrews said, but never sinned. Amen? He makes perfect decisions. He's all wise. He's the perfect counselor. He's true. And he has the key of David, Revelation 3, 7 says. What does that mean? He has the keys of the kingdom. He has the key to the, to the, to the gate of the new Jerusalem. And it's Jesus who is Lord of lords. He has the authority to let in who he decides to let in. Jesus has all authority. He has all authority over your life. He has all authority of your situation, the difficulty, the challenge that you might be going through in your life right now. He has authority over it. He's so much bigger than the, the mountainous problem that you might be looking at right now. And then in Revelation 19, 11, and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. Jesus is faithful, amen? Think again about how faithful he has been in your life and my life. He is faithful. He's true. We can trust him. So how do we, what does it mean to look to Jesus? One, we need to reflect on who he is, on what, on what the Word, on what the Bible says who Jesus is, okay? Secondly, we need to remember what he's done. We need to remember what Jesus has done. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. 1 Peter 3.18, What has Christ done? He died for sins once and for all. He's the perfect sinless sacrifice. He's the God-man that never sinned. And willingly, because, because in obedience to the Father, he went to the cross, and what did he do? He died for the sins of all who believe. So that we might be reconciled or brought back to God. Jesus on the cross, sinless Jesus, poured out his perfect blood so that our sins could be forgiven and God's righteousness be imparted or imputed upon us. And he did it once and for all. And he defeated sin and death and evil forever. Amen? 
If he can do that, then you got to believe that he's got you right now in what you might be walking through. He's got you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He's died for our sins to reconcile us back to God, but he's also made us a new creature, a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Aren't you glad you're new? Amen. Can I get an amen? Aren't you glad you're new? I am so glad I am not the Jonathan Mays I was at 23 years old. I'm glad you didn't know me then, Suvarno. You wouldn't want to hang out with me then. I'm the type of guy that mama would say, stay away from him. Not an exaggeration. Only the grace of God. I'm so thankful. I'm not where I want to be, but praise God, I'm not where I used to be. Amen? Aren't you glad you're a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus? And if you're listening today, listen up. And you're still, you're still living in sin. And it's got you in a stranglehold. Guess what? You can be set free today. Amen? I have a student that I teach online. We were doing a writing exercise. We were doing a writing exercise a couple months ago. And, and I gave them the exercise. I showed a picture of a genie lamp. And I said, what's this? A genie lamp. What comes out of a genie? Genie comes, I mean, what comes out of the genie lamp? A genie comes out. And usually when the genie comes out, what does he do? He gives you three wishes, Mr. John. I said, I want you to write about if you could have any three wishes when you rub the genie lamp. Of course, Mimi, I'm going to connect it to the Bible, okay? Yeah, I mean, we don't believe in genies coming out of genie lamps. All right. So I said, if you had any three wishes, um, what would they be? I said, I broke them out into breakout rooms in the Zoom. And so the boys started writing about what, you know, their paragraph. And these are our fourth graders, okay? And I had this one student. His name is uh, Horatio. We call him Tio. And he begins to write. And so I go into his breakout room. He's all by himself. He begins to write, and his first wish was, I wish that Jesus would come into my heart because I've got a lot of sins in it. And this, and this beloved young boy, um, let me just say, when I ask uh, you know, for volunteers to pray at the beginning or end of a lesson, he never volunteers. He doesn't talk about spiritual stuff a lot. But he wrote that. His first point in his paragraph, I wish Jesus could come into my heart because I got a lot of sin there. I said, Tio, man, this doesn't have to be a wish. And I said, guess what? Your wish can come true right now. What do you mean, Mr. John? Of course, I explained the gospel to him. And I said, man, Tio, do you know that Jesus died for your sins on the cross? He rose on the third day to prove that he has all power to take away your sins and bring you back to God. And do you want him to come and live in your heart right now as you repent of your sins? And you put your faith in Jesus. He said, yeah, I want to do that. He came to Christ in a Zoom meeting. Praise God. He's a new creature. You can become one too. It can be as simple as what T.O. said. i got a lot of sins in my heart. I want Jesus to come in, take them away, and live there. You can pray something like that. It's not about how well you articulate it, but it's about what's in here. Do you pray it with your heart? Are you tired of the old self and you want the new in Jesus? I can guarantee it's a better life. Not only do you get eternal life, not only do you immediately enter into this relationship with the triune God now, but you've got it forever. 
And then while you're still here on the earth, John 10, 10, the next verse, the Bible says the thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. That's the devil. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it what? Abundantly. What does that mean? That means a meaningful life. That means a purposeful life in the midst of a pandemic. Amen? I can have joy in the midst of a pandemic. It doesn't take away that we're not sorrowful for what's going on, that our heart's not broken when we hear of the bad news. We pray for the sick. We pray for the families that have lost loved ones. But I'm telling you, man, live your life and live it to the full for Jesus. It's a full life. Amen? It is a full life. Not an easy life. Doesn't mean we're going to get rich quick. That's not what this means. Suparno spoke about that a couple weeks ago. But it's a purposeful life. It's a meaningful life. We have his peace. Remember what he's done. Thirdly, remain confident in what he said. I'll try to move quickly. Jesus has said in John 15, 13 through 14, what this means is remain confident in what he said, remain confident in what Jesus has said in his word. John Freiburg drove this point home so well last week. We have to stand on God's promises, and here's a few of them for us this morning. John 15, verse 13 and 14, Jesus said this, greater love has no one than this than one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So here's how this works. Jesus says, if you trust me, which also translates into obeying me, then you become my friend. If we are a friend of Jesus, Jesus says, I give you the greater love. Amen. I give you, I lavish you with so much love. A love that held me on the cross. My love for my, my father and my love for you. And that's how much I love you. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Jesus loves you, brother and sister, with an all-enduring, unending, undying love. And I myself, just this past Monday, was having a tough day. So guess what I did? I was in my study, and, and I have this Bible promise book on my bookshelf. It's like a concordance of all of God's promises. And what I needed to know, even though I knew it, even though I had experienced it, but better than my experience is what God has said. Amen? So I had to go to his word, and I looked up verses about God's love for me. And I had to go to Jeremiah 31.3 that says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I found that verse. And tears came to my eyes because I was going through a tough time, having a bad day, trying something, not quite going the way that I thought it would. And I just needed to know that God loves me with an everlasting love. And man, I stood on that verse. I, I said, yes, I believe that. You love me. This goes the way that I hope it would or not. You love me. You've got me in my family. That was just this Monday. We have to hold on to his promises. But to hold on to his promises, we have to be in his word, brothers and sisters. We can't be lackadaisical. We can't be undisciplined to not be in his word. Because we don't know what promises to stand on if we're not reading his promises, right? Another promise, Jesus says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And yes, we understand that's in the context of disciple making. But if you are a true disciple, then you're going to tell people about Jesus and help them obey everything he's commanded them to do. Amen. And Jesus says, I'm going to be with you the whole way always. 
Maybe you need to know that this morning. He is with you always if you are his disciple. And if you're not, become a disciple. (laughs) Give your life to Christ today. Don't wait another minute. And lastly, a verse we've been using quite a bit this past 15, 16 months during the pandemic, John 16, 33. I know Suparno loves this verse. I love this verse. These things Jesus said, I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus gives us an an all-enduring peace, brothers and sisters, that the world can't give us. Amen for that. Amen for that. We need to remain confident in what he said. We need to remember what Christ has done. We need to reflect on his character. That's what it means to look to Jesus, and in doing so, Jesus imparts faith, and then we are able to properly appropriate in our life and in our situation. But lastly, look at verse 21 of our text, and then I'll be done. Matthew 17, verse 21. In brackets, the Bible says, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, why is this verse 21 in brackets? Because it's not in all of the older manuscripts, the ancient manuscripts, okay? So it's in some, not in all, so it's bracketed here. But when we go to the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 9, when Mark retells the same story of Jesus curing this demoniac boy, he includes, but this kind does not go out except by prayer, Mark 9 verse 29, okay? So in Mark's rendition, it's there, but it says it doesn't go out except by prayer. So how do we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus so that God's power can show up and show out as he wills and under his authority? We have to remain in prayer. Last point. Have to remain in prayer. I believe prayer is our lifeline. Jesus talks about in John 15, 4 and 5, abide in me and I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How do we continue to abide or remain or stay connected to Jesus? I mean, we're in. Once we're in the family, we're in. Okay? We're sealed. The Holy Spirit seals our salvation. But how do we stay in this close, intimate fellowship with Jesus in the midst of the busyness of our life? It's through prayer. You know, when we're in a Zoom meeting, when we're cooking dinner, when we're sweeping and mopping the floor, we, we, we can't, maybe we don't always have a Bible open. Physical or digital. But we've hidden the word in our hearts so we wouldn't sin against him like the psalmist said in Psalm 119, if I'm not mistaken. But we're in constant communication with our Lord. And why is that so important? Because Jesus, as Jesus said in Luke 22, verse 46 here, he said to them, that's the disciples, that he told them to wait right here while he goes over here and prays, and that was in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he was about to be arrested. He told them to stay on watch and pray, and they didn't do it. And he comes back, and he says, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Why is it so important to, in order for us to keep our eyes looking and fixed on Jesus so that in doing so, he graces us with faith that we then therefore appropriate in our lives, and particularly in the trying times of our life, it's so important that we remain in prayer so that, so that we don't hear the voices in our head, we don't listen so much to the news, we don't go think ourselves and come stressed out and so anxious and worried. We can be tempted to worry and be anxious, to stress out, because we've got a difficulty in our life. 
That's just the fact. But when we remain in prayer, it helps us not to fall to the temptation of worry, not to the fall to the temptation to not trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean, on, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. Proverbs chapter 3. The tendency is when we have an issue, we have a difficulty, we have a mountain in our life, we either get so worried and anxious that we, we freeze up, or we just try to do it on our own, don't we? We just bulldoze through, and that can be bad. We rely upon our own strength. And in both situations, we're putting self on the throne and not allowing Jesus to be on the throne of our life. Prayer keeps us connected so we don't do that. Do you understand? Paul says in Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Like I said, we might be cooking dinner. We might be sweeping them up on the floor. We might be in a Zoom meeting. We're on a conference call. We're driving in the car. We may not be able to have an open Bible, but we can still talk to Jesus, can't we? We can still be in a state of prayer. We may not be saying anything, but we're, we're thinking of him. We're opening our minds to him so he can speak into our lives through the Holy Spirit. It is so important to remain in prayer. This is the relationship. If we have a true, close relationship with someone, we want to spend time with them, right? Meaning we want to communicate. We want to spend time. We want to listen to what they say, and we want to share what's in our heart to them, right? If we really love Jesus... We're really pursuing Jesus. If he's our treasure above all treasures, we're going to remain in prayer. We want to talk with him. We want him to talk with us. Amen? And I'm telling you, when we do that, when we do that, when the trying times come where it seems impossible to appropriate faith in Christ in the situation, guess what? we will be given grace to do it. And God's power will see us through. The mountain may not be removed immediately, but in the midst of the storm, the eye of the storm, we will have peace. We will have peace. We'll be okay because we know He's with us. And it's only temporary. And during this temporary time on the planet, he's processing us for our good. What's our ultimate good? Conforming to the image of God's Son. Take heart, beloved. God loves you. He's good. Look to his Son. Hold on to his promises. Remember what he's done. Reflect on his character. Stay in prayer. He's got you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for Jesus. 
We love you, Jesus. We adore you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are. You are the eternal word. You are holy God. You are faithful and true. You are righteous and just. And we trust you. Help us to trust you, Lord. Forgive us when we, when we fail to, as the nine disciples did, Lord. Help us, Lord. We ask for this whole and complete, this adequate faith that you have taught us about from your word today. So that as, you, as we look to you and you impart it to us, we can appropriate it properly in our lives and in our situation. And as we do, Father, we know your power will be there. Your glory will be on display. And we want your glory. That brings us so much joy. I want to pray for those listening, for those in attendance today, Lord. I want to pray for myself. Lord, would you grant us faith? Grant us faith, Lord. Help us, Father, to look to your Son. Help us, Lord, to stand upon your promises in your Holy Word. And I pray, God, whatever us, the things that we're going through, God, you would help us, that you would make a way, that you might be so gracious in accordance to your perfect will for each of us, you might take the impossible and make it possible And it would be a testimony, Lord, that we can share for your glory. Bless your church, Lord. Bless those here and listening who maybe aren't new creatures in Christ yet, Lord. And today they need to come home to you. They need to repent of their sins and give their life to Jesus Christ for the first time and follow you in discipleship. Lord, would you... Would you move on their hearts, Holy Spirit, so they could make that all-important decision? Thank you so much. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your holy name. Amen.